welcome to all of you, remind you as I guess we're basically doing now on Thursdays, if you want to give uh, on Thursday evenings, we got the boxes on the wall in the back, you can do it um, that way. So welcome to everyone, why don't you stand, if you're watching us online this evening, we um, welcome you as a part of this service this evening. And uh, this has been a, I said it the other morning or night, can't remember which one, but um, ministry-wise for me this year, obviously we've had Brother Herring for a number of weeks on Sundays and then a variety of things on Thursdays. And um, so it's been, uh, haven't haven't had the chance which I have come to enjoy the last several years of sort of spending several weeks on a particular topic, and uh, tonight's going to be kind of a same thing. Next week is uh, men's conference. There will be service, but um, I won't be here because of men's conference. But so I, I, but I feel like the Lord has given me something for tonight, and so um, here we go. I want to start with Second uh, Timothy. Chapter two. Look at that. We, 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 we got it right. Actually, I feel like saying I got it right because usually it ends up being something on my iPad that's wrong. So we did it. One verse to start with, and a verse many of you are probably familiar with. Paul says to Timothy, Second Timothy two fifteen. Study. Everybody say study. You don't have to repeat this part. I'm saying this part. You study. Now, don't jump to conclusions. That's not the topic here. But I think it's an important point. Don't trust me to do all your study. You study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And really it's, it's this last part of the verse that I want to draw your attention to as a starting point this evening. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. A couple of other translations say that last part this way. The Amplified Bible says it this way. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. Notice the brackets here. Rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. This isn't dividing in the sense of separating. I like this part, I don't like that part. Or We'll do this part, we, that's not the dividing. Rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. The Living Bible says, no what his word says and means. And then the complete Jewish Bible says, because he deals straightforwardly with the word of the truth. I want to I talk to you this evening for a little bit on this subject. The balance of truth. The balance of truth. 
Father, I thank you for this opportunity this evening. And once again, Lord, I ask you that you would speak to us. Lord, your word is the words of life. I pray that you would feed our soul this evening. God, that we would be open to hear and receive what you have to say. Lord, every person in this place, for the most part, has got plenty of stuff going on in their lives that we don't need to be here tonight to just fill up time. God, we're here, we need, and we want to hear from you. I trust you tonight, God. I stand before you acknowledging that without you I can do nothing. God, I'm not here to just say some words and take up time in this service because that's what we do. I, I want to be a mouthpiece. I want to be a vessel that you can speak through tonight. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us, hearts to receive. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. That, that, uh, those two words rightly dividing in the English, those two words come from one Greek word, and according to Vine's dictionary, rightly dividing means literally to cut straight. It's found in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we just read, rightly dividing. The revised version says, handling aright the word of truth. The meaning passed from the idea of cutting or dividing. The more general sense of rightly dealing with a thing. Rightly dealing with a thing. What is intended here is not dividing Scripture from Scripture, but teaching Scripture accurately. Paul challenges Timothy, you need to study. You need to have a knowledge and an understanding of the Word of God so that you are able to teach Scripture accurately so that you are able to communicate it accurately. And, and really in the context of this evening, uh, just, just take it, and we've, many of you are involved in some form or fashion of teaching, whether that's teaching in an in a oikos, teaching in Sunday school, campus ministry, etc., etc., teaching, and, and, and that's all obviously applicable, but, but, but really in part of the context of where we're going this evening, just rightly dividing, accurately understanding for your own benefit. Because it's nothing new, even though, as I've said about other things, there may be nothing new under the sun, but it seems like there are some things that are sort of amped up and magnified and, and intensified in the world we're living in today. And the Scripture talks about strong delusion. The Scripture says that God, not the devil, but God, would send a strong delusion so that people would, re- would be- that people would believe a lie. And the reason was because they did not receive a love for the truth. If you don't love truth and want truth, 
not, it's not the enemy you've got to worry about deceiving you. It's God you have to worry about deceiving you. And you want to talk about an extremely dangerous place to be because when it's the devil that's doing the deceiving, we've got some weapons that we know how to deal with that with. We know how to do spiritual warfare. We know how to come against the spiritual blindness in people's lives that comes from the devil. But what do you do when it is God who is causing and allowing the spiritual blindness? You can't bind God. You can't rebuke God. So Timothy says, I I want you to be able to properly understand. I, I want you to be able to properly If I could say it this way, break down the Word of God. And, and we are, we are, I feel like, at least looking back throughout my lifetime, I've, I've had this happen a couple of times now. This past Sunday night was the most recent. Uh, a gentleman came to service Sunday evening. He was a pastor, uh, from Oregon. He's out this area, been in this, was in this area for a couple days for some things. And, and, uh, he came here with the hopes of, If you think I'm too proud, don't worry. God has a way of kind of reminding me. He came to service Sunday evening with the great hopes of being able to somehow meet Bishop Wright. <laughs> and uh, so he came and, and great guy. We had a wonderful conversation. A couple other folks communicated with him some. But he, he wanted, and this is the part in particular, literally I've heard this several times from several people. In fact, The, the, the time before that was a missionary that came through just a couple of months ago. He said I was, and he, he, I would guess him to be a couple of years older than me. And uh, he said when I was, I think he said when he was like 17 years old, he said, I got a hold of some tapes. Some tapes, not scotch tape, some tapes of, of Bishop Wright. And it just had such a major impact and, and uh, on my life. And so, you know, years ago... God bless Sister Brenda Spitzer. I don't know how, how many years Sister Brenda operated the tape ministry. You know that window back there? You guys know why that window was originally that little window where we can all wave to Sister Horton, I think it is, this evening? You know why? That window, is that's a great spot for interpreting in church service. Isn't that a great spot for our, our, our translation into Spanish? That wasn't built as a translation booth. That was built as a place, so after the end of services, you could go at the point in time we built this sanctuary, you could go and get your CDs after service. There'd be somebody back there burning CDs, and you could get your CDs and take them home so that you could listen again to the message. But now, what's a CD? Definitely what's a cassette. I'm actually old enough to remember eight tracks. Yeah. I remember, I remember the first time my dad had bought the, an iPod. It's, I guess it's now what it was called the classic, the one that had the little wheel that you spin. Did your finger and, and he gave it to me because he he got another one or he wasn't using it or something and he gave it to me and and I'm like okay <laughs> and it sat in my office and in my in my in my uh, desk drawer for months. Now, now I know. I got all my music right here. 
So, but, but now we have access. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. All those years, basically the main access you had was to apostolic preaching. Because much of what you ate off of was what you got here. I, I think I could argue in some ways that was a good thing, but now I, I think there's other parts that maybe it, it, there's some good things about you having to be challenged to be able to go, wait a minute, I don't know if that's being rightly divided or not. The bottom line is that's not where we are anymore because you can get access to any and everything you want. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times on my Facebook especially, I'm getting things that doesn't matter if I want them or not. And so, it's always been important that you as an individual, that I am able to rightly divide the word. But I'm telling you, I believe the day and time we're in, and the future that's ahead of us, it becomes more and more critical to be able to rightly divide, to accurately teach, to accurately understand what the word says and what the word means. A couple of days ago, I, I, as I've referenced now several times in the course of the last couple of months, my, my non-Bible reading has pretty much been focused on books by F.B. Meyer uh, called a classic portrait series, and it's books about uh, very well-known well men throughout Scripture. And I uh, just finished, I still have more in my office, but I finished the one I had at home, and so the other morning I had a book I part pretty much got about a chapter to go by a man by the name of Arthur W. Pink. And again, as I've said many times, my, uh, my favorite authors lived pretty much in the 1800s, early 1900s. Not saying nothing's good been written since then, but those guys didn't pull any punches. They ripped you up one side and down the other. They told you the truth. So a couple of days ago, I picked this up, and, and I'm going to share a couple of things from it throughout the course of this this evening. But, but listen to what he says here. Almost all theological and religious error consists of truth perverted, truth wrongly divided, truth misapplied. Look at this next one, and this next one really fits the context of my title this evening. Truth overemphasized. Truth viewed in a wrong perspective. The fairest face on earth, possessed of the most comely features, would soon become ugly and unsightly if one feature continued growing while others remain undeveloped. And if some of you have not already thought of Pinocchio by now, I don't know how that's possible. Physical beauty is mainly a thing of due proportion. And thus it is with the Word of God. Its beauty and blessedness are best perceived when it is presented in its true proportions. Here is where so many have failed in the past. Some favorite doctrine has been concentrated on and others of equal importance neglected. It's kind of like parenting small kids. At the dinner table. If you let them just eat the things that they want to eat. 
there's a really good chance the things that they need to eat, they're not going to eat. Of course, us adults have a tendency to be the same way. There's just nobody that can force us otherwise. If we're not careful, we can get so honed in on one topic, one area. The problem is truth has a balance. Now hear me now. I've taught this before. I've brushed over it before. When it comes to the word balance, I believe we, we have to be careful. We want to live a balanced life. If a balanced life is God and you balancing each other out, that's, that's not the balance you're supposed to be achieving. If, if, if your church life and your natural life, you're trying to balance, the, no, that, that's, not, that's not where the balance comes in. But, but I want to, by the help of the Lord, you'll see as we go along here what I mean. But when it comes to the Word of God, we have got to make sure that we maintain the balance in the truths of the Word of God. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in being focused on the truths, again, that appeal to us, that are enjoyable to us, that make us feel better, encouraged, and uplifted. But you can, really, you can see starting in Genesis 1 in creation, because God, God did it and, 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 There are so many applications to so many things throughout the Bible. There's the primary application, the primary context, but then there's a variety of things you can usually glean from just about anything in Scripture. And, And we find it even with the creation of day. There's a balance in the day. There's day and there's night. Living with one or the other would not be healthy. We need both. Look at look at it. Just this is more so just a, I guess a, an image, literally, but an image to just try to as another point here in in, in the tabernacle. That 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 place inside was a wonderful, beautiful place. The, the, uh, the, the, the uh, furniture in there, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense, and especially the, the, uh, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Man, you got inside of there, that was beautiful. But that outer court... That altar of sacrifice and that brazen labor, that was, that was messy out there. They're literally sacrificing animals, offering sacrifices. It, and so there, there's blood being shed and then, and then you've, you've got the, the brazen labor. That, that, my understanding and, and Dr. U is in the house. I hate talking about the tabernacle when Dr. U is here because he is, he is the resident expert on the tabernacle. And I mean all that very sincerely. I'm not being facetious at all. 
But just in my more basic study of the tabernacle, it sounds like there's a little bit of, of uh, 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 I don't, debate's more strong of a word than I'm looking for, but, but uh, debate over whether or not that, that water you stuck your hands in there or washed or that they poured it and you washed. Either way, what are they washing off? They're washing off the blood from the sacrifices. So either way, whether you're dipping your hands in there or they're pouring it on your hands and washing, all of that outer area was not very beautiful. But to get to the beautiful part, you had to have the outside. You had to go through that part to get there. But the bottom line is, once you're inside, that also brings a whole different level of meaning to what was outside. I just, I didn't think this would be the context, and maybe there's some other way I'll end up using this. I shared this, I think it was Brother Middleton, if I'm not mistaken, the other day, but but, uh, as um, pretty much the week after my wife's surgery, which was obviously one of the most focused times of trying to care for her and make sure I'm there for her. And so I was pretty much home 24 hours a day. And it just so happened that that week was pretty much the week that uh, the bush, the azaleas right in my bay window were at peak. And I mean, it, 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 one morning it just hit me as I was walking out, getting ready to go make my coffee and sit in my chair, it, I, it just almost, I know, I'm getting old, and I'm embracing it. I am, I was getting made fun of because I was out yesterday trying to find a squirrel guard for my bird feeders. I'm, it is what it is. I now have two bird feeders, one in the front yard, one in the back, and I've been warned there'll probably be more. We'll see, who knows. Actually, I've got three bird feeders because I've got one that's up for hummingbirds, but I haven't seemed to attract any yet. So, <laughs> but and so I, I just I, one morning I walked out and I looked out the window and there they are. And man, the rain that storm on Saturday seemed to mess them up. They were still kind of in their peak, but it was I, literally. And I don't mean to sound cheesy, corny. Sorry to my kids for sounding like a corny dad, but. It, it was almost like just this breath of fresh air when I saw. I mean, they're just beautiful. And I thought for a moment, you know, Brother Tony, how awesome would it be if 365 days a week, every morning when I walked out, that's what I saw. But then it quickly hit me that the beauty of them would be greatly diminished if they were there every single day. It's the fact that there is this brief window out of the year that they're in bloom, especially in full bloom, that that adds to the value and the beauty. And the problem is, when we get so caught up in one side of something, we actually, we don't really get the full value of it. Like we may think we do, if we don't have the balance From one perspective, that would have been a much more enjoyable place to be without the animals, without all the blood, without all the mess. But there is a balance to it. So let's kind of get a little more applicable here, I guess. 
Listen to what the Lord says in Exodus 20, verse number 5. This is, this is the beginning, in essence, of the children of Israel being established. They've come out of Egypt. They're in the process of going from Egypt into the promised land. And they're, they're, in this, they're on this journey, and on this journey, God's telling them things. He's establishing things. He's giving them commandments and telling them how they're supposed to live and, and all this stuff. And so this is a part of that. He says, Exodus 20 and verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a, a jealous God. Watch this. Here it is. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You can get so focused on that right there and all you see is that side of God. But what's the next verse say? And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. No doubt that's the side we have the tendency to get caught up in focusing on. But notice there is a balance to God. This one side, he says, I'm a jealous God. This other side, he says, I'm merciful. Basically says the same thing in Exodus 34 and verse number 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's, that's what we hear most of the time. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a patient God. He's a gracious God. And He is all of that. But if that's the only thing we ever focus on, we can lose the value of that. Because part of the reason it is so important to me is that He is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Part of the reason that means so much is because he says keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressing sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty because here it is, this next part, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. So there's this whole side that's this merciful, gracious, loving God which we all need and wouldn't be here without. There's also this other side. He's a God of judgment. He's a God that's a jealous God. And then, the New Testament, really this is kind of the summary of of what, uh, taking two words and really summarizing what we just read, John 1 verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He who was before me. And of, and of His fullness have all we received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. 
but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. For God so loved the world, that absolutely God so loved the world, but don't let the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son cause you to forget there's also a side of God that doesn't handle sin well. Doesn't handle your rebellion and your disobedience well. The, the difference between Moses, part of, one of the difference, let me say it that, one of the differences, obviously there are several, but one of the differences between Moses and Jesus Christ was all Moses was used to give was the law. And there was no grace. And that was the problem because everybody's gonna mess up. If the only hope that you and I have was the keeping of the law perfectly, and if you, if you offended in one point of the law, you're guilty in all points of the law. So there's not one of us, not one person throughout all of human history that ever had a chance. But Jesus comes along. But notice, Jesus didn't come along and just bring grace. Because why do you need grace if you don't have truth? Truth here in the context of, of, of the principles and the doctrines of the Word of God, including sin, what sin is. What's the need for grace if there's not another side that brings balance to all of this? That's, that's why we, 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 we've gotten into so much trouble in Christianity today. Because we want to drill down. We want to unpack. Now you get a check there for that, Brother Isaac. We want to unpack God's love. But can you ever truly unpack God's love? And understand God's love without also understanding this other side to God? Listen to what, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 85 and verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy and truth. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. I, I got it from my perspective, and it's just my perspective, but one of the most foolish arguments people want to make is to put more emphasis on the New Testament than the Old. Well, we're not under the law anymore. No, we're not. It's actually worse for you and I. Because for them, it was external laws that they were supposed to live by. It's not external laws anymore for you and I, because when we are born again, He writes the law in our hearts, meaning 
We ought to be better governed, more effectively governed by the law in the New Testament than they were in the Old. Oh, hallelujah. But no, we're free from the law. Oh yeah, we're free from the law. Hmm, Old Testament, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. We're free from the law. If a man looks on a woman and lusts after her, in his heart, he's... This, how, how have we gotten to this place that it doesn't matter? We've gotten here because we've so focused. Again, we're, we're, of course, we sing sometimes, says, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your hand. Absolutely, I need his mercy and his grace. But I don't just need his mercy and his grace just, just as this wonderful empowerment to me. I need his mercy and his grace because there's this other side that I'm, I'm, I deserve to be punished. It's his, as Job said, his terrible majesty. Listen, listen to what Adam Clark says about this, this verse. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is a remarkable text and much has been said on it, but there is a beauty in it which I think has not been noticed. Mercy and peace are on one side, truth and righteousness on the other Truth requires righteousness. Mercy calls for peace. Truth requires righteousness. Mercy calls for peace. Truth truth requires right living. Right thinking. Right action. That's what truth requires. Mercy is asking for peace. This is what we deserve, but let's somehow see if we can find some mercy. They meet together on the way, one going to make inquisition for sin, the other to plead for reconciliation. Having met their differences on certain considerations, not here particularly mentioned, are adjusted and their mutual claims are blended together in one common interest on which peace and righteousness immediately embrace. Thus righteousness is given to truth and peace is given to mercy. I don't understand. I'm, I, I, I don't understand sometimes why we waste. From a, obviously, I don't believe what I'm a, believe it the way I'm about to say it. Okay, but why do we waste so much time and money on all of this? If at the end of it all, we're all going to the same place. Why waste the money on the electricity? Why waste the money on, on the, the gas? Probably cost some of you as much to get here tonight as it cost you to fill up your car entirely a couple of years ago. 
why go through all the hassle? And why those of you that were small children, why go through all the effort and the work to get the kids ready and get out of the house and go and come to church and do this if at the end of the day we all go into the same place? How have we gotten there? How are we to the point that it doesn't really matter what you believe, that preachers will put you in heaven all the time? How did we get there? Because we've only focused on one aspect. Grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. Love, love, love. Yes, but don't forget, He's a jealous God. His grace is amazing. His love is... Beyond comprehension. All of those things are true. But the appreciation of those can only come when I remember there's another side. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with some of you apostolics here tonight because there, there's a good chance that there's some of you here tonight that, that, that there's things you're hearing and seeing and reading and watching and listening and maybe you've gotten a, you get a daily devotional in your inbox and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not rightly dividing the word, the sad thing is it's, I've grown up in this. In addition to pastoring for years now, I've grown up into this. It's amazing how many times what someone reads or hears out there causes them to question what's in here. Rather than vice versa. You're going to let something in your inbox from somebody you don't even really know? You're going to let something somebody preaches that you don't, you don't really know? I know on one aspect you, you don't necessarily know me as well as those that live with me know me. You're, you're going to let that cause you... But isn't it amazing? It's, it's kind of no wonder because for our flesh, that is usually much more appealing than this. Listen to hear it again from some of my reading in the last several days, and, and really this is, there, there's one other place I've included in my notes. I'm probably not even going to read it, but if you want the notes, you can read it later. But, but this is such a sobering point and a very accurate point from my years of, again, just being in the church, but really probably even more so as far as pastoral ministry. It is a favorite device of Satan's to drive us from one extreme to another. Let it be borne in mind that as he dealt there in the wilderness with Christ the head, so Satan continues to act with all Christ's members. Now watch this, watch this, and this is so true If he cannot bring them to one extreme, he will endeavor to drive them to the other. If he cannot bring a man to covetousness and miserliness, penny-pinching, he will attempt to drive him to prodigality, excessiveness, and thriftlessness. If he can't get you to be on the extreme side of being so tight-fisted, you never give, you're not a free, you're not a charitable person, then he wants you to go on the other side. 
If a man is of the sober and somber type, let him beware lest the devil in condemning him for this lead him into levity and irreverence. The devil cannot endure one who turns neither to the right hand nor to the left. Nevertheless, we must seek to keep the golden mean neither doubting on the one hand nor presuming on the other, giving way neither to despair nor to recklessness. Hear me, folks. Hear me, folks. The devil doesn't care which side of the ditch, which side of what ditch on which side of the road you go in as long as you'll just go in the ditch. So let's, let's throw the one out there that's always kind of the hot button topic. The one we're often, we're legalists for. So he, he doesn't care if he's just as fine with you getting off in the ditch of legalism, Phariseeism, extremism. Nobody's ever modest enough. Nobody's ever dressed appropriately enough. Nobody ever does it well enough. He doesn't care if that's the ditch or if it's the other side that anything goes. And I've watched now for years. Probably I would say in my 30s was the time frame especially. I watched as ministry as friends, some peers of mine, but in in general, at least in the organization we're a part of, I watched where people saw those that maybe they had gone on one side of the road off the ditch. But rather than getting in the right position, they chose to go to the other side this side they're telling me you got to do these things and they're not showing me any really biblical basis for it they don't really it's just religious tradition it's an organization and so rather than finding out what does the word of god really say and what is the path i'm supposed to walk they throw all that out the window and get in the other ditch so He doesn't care if you get lost on the side of grace and mercy or if you get lost on the side of law. He doesn't care if you become the most self-righteous person there is or if you become the most... He doesn't care as long as you'll just become one or the other. got to rightly divide. I got to be able to rightly divide. Wait a minute. There's there's something that that just doesn't doesn't sit right. It just doesn't quite feel right. I got to be honest, and I, I would imagine some of you could say the same thing. There's a few times that was my initial reaction, but the more I really realized, that was just my flesh. That was my flesh saying, oh, that can't be right. Really what I was saying was, no, I don't want that to be right. I don't want to have to do that. I, want to, I don't want to have to not do that. I don't want to have to live that way. That can't. I'm not talking about that because we usually know the difference. I'm talking about that thing down inside when you hear something. You're like, you know, I, that just. But the problem with that one is, is when that little check you're feeling down inside is contrary to what your flesh is thinking and saying and feeling. It's a dangerous place to be in. 
There's a balance to truth. It's not just one side of this loving, forgiving, gracious, merciful God. There's another side to him. How wonderful and amazing is it that he chose not to just be a God of that side of law and judgment and wrath. That he so willingly provided, in fact, went out of his way to provide the other side. I can't get so caught up in that wonderful side that I forget. You say, well, you know, you, you read to us, Pastor, it says God said he was a jealous God. Well, well I mean, that was Old Testament. What, well, okay, well, let's do a little bit of, uh, I love what my dad always, or does, not always, but when he does this from time now. Let's do a little math. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. <laughs> so if A is God, jealous God, and B is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And C is Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. Then A and C. So Jesus Christ, who was God manifested in the flesh, says he is a jealous God. So please explain to me this mindset that it's good enough, just, just show up for church for an hour, hour and a half. Let's make it as brief as we can. Let's make the morning service as briefly, and definitely let's not have any other services throughout the week because we have too much more important things. Just don't forget, in case you forgot, this is Thursday night. I'm not usually this. Although I thought about it, you know, I've, and I've actually said this in the past, and I, I thought of it, as I was preparing for this evening, there's there been a few times, especially on a Sunday morning, where I preached a more stern message, and I'm like, hey, if you're a guest and you've never been here before, please come back. Don't just judge me by this morning, because I feel like, you may not agree with me, but I feel like in the course of time, I see balance in my mind. There are some times where it's to the point, it's direct, it's challenging, it's hard, and then there are some other times, I mean, I feel like the last couple of weeks, I've preached some pretty... Compassionate, loving messages. I realized I was preaching most of them to myself, trying to help me, but it was still. <laughs> so please explain to me, though, how do you get a, this mindset that just, just come for an hour and praise God? Check your box of a church service. Live the way you want to live the rest of the week, and that's all good. Please help me understand that with a jealous God. You know, it, what's amazing, and I know a number of you are not married, and some of you that are not married, you have every plan to get married whenever the time is right, so you'll understand this one hand, one day firsthand, but you can still relate a little bit now. It blows my mind how often we expect God to put up with things in our relationship with Him that we would never 
in a heartbeat tolerate in our marriage. I'm, I'm a, less than two weeks away, I think it is now. Less than two weeks away from being married 30 years. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be knocking on the door of 30 if I'd approach marriage with, listen, I love you, I really love you. But don't expect me around here more than one or two days a week. I'm going to drop by when I feel like it. I'm going to, you know, hey, when I, when I need you especially. But outside of that, I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to talk to whoever I want to talk to. I'm going to go hang out with whoever I want to go hang. And, you know, I'm married to you, but, I mean, if I see an attractive-looking lady, I might just decide we might go to dinner. But we're married. I I can hear them. Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh, sure. My my wife has pretty much spent... even pre-surgery, but obviously with surgery, she's pretty much spent 24 hours a day, for the most part, either on the couch, the bed, or the recliner. I'm pretty sure if I walked home tonight in the condition she's in and said, listen, we're going to change the terms here a little bit. I'm pretty sure all that lack of movement for the last eight weeks would suddenly go out the window. I was there yesterday at the follow-up doctor's appointment when, he, when she reminded her not to be lifting, pushing, pulling. I'm pretty sure there'd be some lifting and throwing and hitting. Forget the neck problem. Isn't that amazing? And not one of you would think bad of her. But we want to be married. But expect him to be okay with us at the very least flirting. Oh, Lord. And then sometimes we want him to be okay with more than flirting. He said, I am a jealous God. Watch this. So we got this. How many of you believe this is not a trick question? How many of you believe if you if you sin and and you genuinely repent that God is God will forgive you? How many of you believe that? Absolutely. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, had your sins washed away. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter if you are the worst person in the history of mankind. It doesn't matter if you are Adolf Hitler. If you decide to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, all of that's going to get washed away. And then once you're born again, how amazing is that? We now know better. 
And yet he continues time and time and time again to forgive us when we mess up. But, 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 but here is that, again, this, this sort of this balance because while he does forgive us, truly forgive us when we per- repent, that is not a guarantee that every consequence is erased. Watch this, watch this. Second Samuel chapter 12. David has sinned. The prophets come to him, confronted him. David responds with a repentant heart. And, and, and David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. You will not die. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He is. <laughs> what he's, look what he says. How be it? Because the deed thou hast given great occasion to the, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. You've repented, David. I'm forgiving you. There's still another side. I, I, I still got to deal with some stuff. I'm not, I, 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 I'm not just going to turn a blind eye. There are those of you here tonight, I'm not trying to add to anyone's pain or poke any wounds here, but there are people sitting here tonight, maybe some watching online or some that will watch us in the future, that, that you could share, testify right here, right now of some of the things, some of the consequences of your past, that even though God has forgiven you, absolutely forgiven you, you still have to face... For those of you that it's already done and you can't undo it, I'm thankful for you that God's forgiveness is not synonymous with God making it all perfect. But, but let me, as I often have said or done, let, let me say, especially you, you young people hear me, especially those of you that are born in church, raised in church, you can choose to walk away from God, go do your own thing, live your own way. And hopefully by the grace of God, you'll have the opportunity to come back and be forgiven and repent. But it doesn't mean he's taken away all of the effects. Doesn't mean he's going to wipe away all of the issues that came from that season of rebellion. Will he forgive you? Absolutely, 100%. Yes, he will. But he doesn't automatically remove. Look at this. The book of Jude, there's only one chapter, so. Watch this. Watch this. This is that that balance. And of some. Here's how you get some saved. You have compassion. And it makes a difference. But others, you save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Some, all they need is that knowledge of the love and 
grace and mercy of God. That's all they need to get saved. But others, they need that other side. And, and, and again, you know, this is, this is no different than what we deal with, naturally speaking, especially as parents. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. Let's see their younger years. All different now, but in their younger years, I, I didn't want them to be afraid. I didn't want them to be scared of me. But I did want there to be a respect and a reverence. And again, when, when we want to just focus on one component of God, one aspect, one characteristic of God, while that may be very appealing to us, it, it really is very detrimental to us. Because it's our, it's our nature, it's our human nature. I mean, man, if this, this loving God, I, I don't, you know, we, we've all got, you know, to a degree in some areas varying philosophies on parenting and 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 you know I, some parents are of the opinion you know you 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 know you tell some tell the kid and if they don't respond then you you know you count to 3 give them a chance and then some that's like one you know one and you're done and, and I, I I don't know I do know this if all if every single time I messed up it was one and done with him I'd be in big trouble so I kind of leaned a little bit more on the side of patience. But there, there is, there, 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 I'm not trying to, I wasn't trying to send the message that I'm not really serious. I'm not. But again, if all we're going to do is focus on this Fluffy side. <laughs> Again, I, I've, I've said this, that, and I've talked to a couple others of my peers. This, I don't know if this really makes me feel better or not. It makes me at least not feel like a total failure. But it seems like at least for the peer, my peers in my generation, we never figured out the look. As dads. My dad and all of my friends' dads had the look. And when you got the look, everything changed. You didn't even need words when you got the look. I feel like I spent up till my kids or into my kids' teenage years trying to figure out I don't know. They've ne and they've, I've said this before, and they've never contradicted me, so I must be wrong, and I never got it. Because <laughs> There's something healthy, though, about that. Knowing that, you know what, sometimes my Heavenly Father might just be giving me the look. Uh, that's... That's far enough. Oh, but you'll forgive me. You're a God of grace. 
You're a God of mercy. Yeah, I will. But I'll discipline you too. Some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So I'm I'm almost done, but I want to sort of close with this. We've, some of you may not have ever really heard this term. I'm assuming some of you definitely have, but it appears as though for some that grace, grace is a license to sin. It's a license to live however you want to live. But listen to a couple of things here. Listen, first of all, listen to what Paul says, Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The verses before that in chapter 5 is where Paul says, Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. So should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Based on that, then you have to ask the question, if somebody is supposedly saved, but they're continuing to live a life of sin, have they really been dead yet? Then he says later on in that chapter, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Shall we get so caught up in this one side of God that we neglect the other? No way. And here's what's amazing. The very thing that so many have taken to use to be basically the permission and what gives them the okay to live however they want to live and do whatever they want to do. It's really amazing because look at what Paul says to Titus. (laughs) For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. What is teaching us? Who is teaching us? Grace is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The thing that so much of Christianity has made the reason we can do, live however we want to live and it's okay, Paul says it's that thing that is actually teaching us not to do those things. The thing that I want to use to say I can... Live all week long however I want to live, but God's okay with it. That, that's, the, that's the thing that Paul says is my teacher. <laughs> right. 
So grace is not coming along when I'm messing up and making mistakes. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's all right. It's a good, it's a good job. No. Grace is coming along and saying you're heading the wrong direction. Making some bad decisions. Shouldn't be doing that. Shouldn't be saying that. How awesome is it that it's grace that teaches us. It's not that other side. Because if it was that other side, instead of what I just said, it'd be coming up, what is your, you messed up, you blew it, get up. Grace. It's grace. It's grace. Shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't do that. You're heading the wrong direction. You're making some bad decisions. You're heading down the wrong path. Don't don't go that way. This this is how you should. This is what I would venture to say, and I'm sure there's some people in this room that have some bad experience, but I would venture to say that pretty much everybody in this room just about could think of at some point a teacher, whether it was a teacher in the sense of somebody in a classroom or a coach, which kind of takes on a role of teaching. And, but, but, but you had this, this teacher that impacted you so much because they, they helped teach you how to do something in such... They, they didn't belittle you for your doing it wrong. Not that way, you idiot. They, they, they came along and, and while they were absolutely, completely course correcting, it was done in this loving, compassionate way. Grace. Grace is the teacher. But if I could personify, is that the word when you make something human, right? Is that, if I could personify, I don't think that's the word. What is it? If you, is it? If, if grace, or the reason grace is such an amazing teacher is because grace understands the other side. I've said it through my years, especially a number of times back when we had a Christian school and I was principal. And I'd deal with certain situations. I, I, I tried to help. I don't know, especially, I mean, I usually didn't really explain this to little kids. It was more so high schoolers at different times. At bottom line, there's not a parent in the world that hasn't made some kind of mistake in parenting at some point. But I, I tried, especially when there was some conflicts that were going on in the home, and I found a, I found in my observation, and now I, looking back, sometimes as a parent myself, the problem is, if we're not careful, we can parent out of fear. And because we love our kids, we care about our kids, we see the direction they're going, and fear takes over. 
And the bottom line is anything. I mean, this is the case in something as trivial as just sports. Anything that is ever done governed by fear will never be done properly. So it's a wonderful thing to know that there's this aspect of God that is not responding or dealing with us out of fear. It's out of His love, His mercy, His compassion. And I guess, and obviously there's a lot of different points to all of this tonight, but as I, as I close, I, I think one of the points that I want to just challenge you with tonight Don't ever get so caught up in the wonderful side of His grace and His love and His mercy that you forget. He's a jealous God who will visit the iniquities of the fathers on generations to come. Mercy and truth. The only hope I have is mercy and truth in my life. If it was all just truth, I failed too many times. But because of mercy, I'm still here. You're still here. And again, as I quit, I... I, I'm begging you tonight, I'm challenging you as people who, the majority in this room tonight, consider yourself to be an apostolic. The enemy is all out warfare in 2022. Attacking, trying to undermine trying to whittle away at the truths that we believe to be the Word of God. And if you're not careful, rather than finding that middle ground to walk in, that place of balance, rather than finding that place as I've already said, he doesn't care which ditch. He doesn't care which ditch you go in. As long as he can get you in one or the other. Father, I ask you to Help us tonight. God, I stand before you tonight as the one, at least at this point in time, called to be the pastor of this congregation. God, I stand here tonight with the weight, the acknowledgement of the responsibility that goes with that. And I pray for the sake of these precious people that are a part of this congregation in this day and time we are living in, Lord, where the enemy is bombarding us from every side, 
that you would help us more than ever to be able to properly divide your word, to be able to properly understand. That we would not get so caught up in one single area, one single focus, that we neglect the things that help to bring perspective and understanding. By your grace, help us, Lord. I pray, Father, tonight for any of us that are in or are heading toward one side or the other of the road to the ditch on either side. By your grace and your mercy, by truth and mercy working together, we would find proper alignment, proper balance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, in these last days that we are living in, Lord, you said also, Paul said to Timothy, perilous times were coming and there would be a form of godliness. But there would be a denying of the power. There would be one side of the scale that is acknowledged and working, but the other side that's not bringing the proper balance. I pray tonight, God, by your grace, don't let us fall into that trap. Don't let us just have a form of godliness. But let mercy and truth, grace and truth, grace and law work. And let grace teach us. Let grace teach us. Help us to be attentive and responsive to grace trying to teach us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.